Welcome to the next episode of Mixed Martial Awesome. Today we are recapping UFC 207. And there's some other stuff going on in MMA over the weekend as well. Uh, including Ryzen, which saw Mirko Krokop win yet another tournament, which was actually pretty significant. And then he retired afterwards, but it's also the third time he's retired. But I hope and think that this is the last time, and it should be. I mean, to win a tournament like that is pretty spectacular. Uh, he defeated King Mo in the first round, which I don't think is that big of a deal or that shocking. But the fact that he put him away the way that he did, I thought was was pretty remarkable. And then he overcame a 460 pound sumo wrestler uh also putting him away which makes that that much more impressive and then took on a giant of a man scary guy from aka and knocked him out with with left hook so i mean that's three first round finishes from a 42 year old mirko kokop i mean that was just so good so happy for him. It was totally awesome. Um, Kron Gracie fought Kawajiri. That was a good fight. He won. That was a significant name. Yeah, Gabby Garcia, I'm not even going to talk about because it was garbage. It was a waste. It was stupid. And they only did it because they wanted people to talk about it. So forget that nonsense. Uh, but yeah, all around good event. I like, I've always liked the New Year's events. They're always fun. Maybe not as, as good as, as Dream had had it, but still great nonetheless. And then World Series of Fighting, John Fitch, uh, defeated Jake Shields by decision. Not the most entertaining fight, but I mean, considering the two of them, shouldn't be surprised. Uh, but it's probably going to be his last fight, uh, according to him, or at least he'll be out a significant amount of time. But I think that might be his last fight. And good for him. Um, Justin Gaethje's fight was crazy, but I'm just not sold on him as actually being that great. I mean, he always has wild and crazy fights and all that stuff, but as far as him being like a quality mixed martial artists um i just don't just not buying into it marlon Moraes won his fight uh a little bit sloppier than usual but still good victory uh, he's still i think the 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 best piece of talent they have at world series of fighting so we'll see uh what his future entails but let's get into uh, UFC 207, because there's there's a lot to talk about. Um, the pre-show we did was before the weigh-ins, so Johnny Hendricks missed weight, uh, which was a big deal. Not the first time. Didn't look good. Like, didn't look like he was super necessarily super drained. I mean, he looked tired, but it looked like he either started the cut late or just simply got way too big. Um, I mean, there's a lot of photos of him from before the fight, and he was clearly not in shape. 
And then he was telling everyone fight week that he like didn't have anything to cut, and that was obviously a blatant lie. Ray Borg also didn't make weight, um, which is which is also not good. He says it was just a matter of adjusting to the early morning weigh-ins. So I kind of give him a pass for it. I still think that even if they let you weigh in between 9 and 11 a.m. in the morning, uh, you should be able to weigh in as many times as you want within those two hours. So if you show up at 9 and you got to cut another pound, like you should be able to, as long as you get back before 11, you should be able to weigh in again. I also think that if you don't make weight in the morning, you should be allowed to make weight at the 4 p.m. face-off. The, the, you know, the weigh-ins for the fans type thing. Because that whole part is still really awkward. Like, people come in, and then they undress, and there's no real reason for them to undress. And then they're stepping on a scale, and there's no reason for them to step on a scale because they've already weighed in. I mean, you're only there to do the face-off, so why not make the build a show around the face-offs? But if you're going to have the scale and you're going to go through the weigh-in process when you don't have to weigh in, then fighters should be able to weigh in at that time. Maybe they don't want to weigh in in the morning. Maybe they want to sleep in the morning, cut weight you know, when they wake up, and then do it. Because now when people are cutting weight to get it done by 9 and 11, you know, they're waking up super early, they're staying up all night, like... That's not good. I mean, I think fighters should be able to weigh in in the afternoons if they want to, as long as it's within that, you know, 24-hour period before the fight or before the show, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I think I think you could save that because people are starting to realize that fighters are missing weight more often now, probably just trying to get used to having to cut weight on that schedule, but um and not being able to weigh in twice like like before before if you missed weight you'd get two hours to go run around and and try to make weight and they don't do that anymore so that is still proving to be very far from a perfect system that they have in place but let's get into uh the actual card there's gonna be a lot to talk about in regards to the co-main event and the main event as I'm sure you can imagine. But uh card opens up with Alex Oliveira and Tim Means. It was on its way to being a very good fight. I thought Means was running away with it, as I thought he would. But, I mean, Oliveira was still uh, very threatening. Um, but things got crazy... Because Tim Means need him in the head twice while he was down. Purposeful knees. Not accidental in any way, shape, or form. The problem is that he thought they were legal, and they're definitely not legal. There was a whole like thing on the broadcast where there was a dispute, and Mark Ratner came in, and he thought it, they were legal, and they were definitely not legal. There was nothing... Nothing uh, to interpret whatsoever. They were illegal knees. Now, the problem is that, as of this recording, they are legal. They weren't legal then, but on January 1st, they were, because they changed the, the rules as far as what constitutes as a grounded opponent. That doesn't change anything. That doesn't mean Tim Means is like forgiven for doing it. 
but it means, you know, it's just, it's one of those weird things that like the one time this happens, happens to be the day before that rule gets changed. It's kind of crazy, but so he needs him in the head. And of course, Oliveira doesn't continue the fight. So the fight's over. Can't rule it a win for Tim Means because it was illegal. Could say that he was winning the fight, but they didn't even get out of the first round. So you can't can't call a victor. They rule the fight in no contest. Some argue that it should be a disqualification because he did he it was an illegal strike. It wasn't an accident. And the reason for that is then it falls into intent. Well, what was his intent? Well, the fact was they weren't an accident. He meant to knee him in the head. But it also, at the same time, wasn't like a nefarious thing. Uh, for whatever reason, Tim Means thought they were legal. Maybe he thought the new rules were in effect and they weren't because it wasn't January 1st. Um, but either way, it got ruled a no contest. Uh, I don't know if they run that one back, but it's a shame for Tim Means. Can't seem to... Um, you know, 2016, I think, was a rough year for him, even though he's been winning and, and looking fantastic in the cage. But, yeah, so that's too bad. Can't do anything in, in the rankings regarding either one of those guys. Brandon Thatch came back and once again got submitted. As I said, he probably would, unfortunately, which puts him on a four-fight losing streak. He's one of those guys that apparently is the best fighter in the world in the gym. And then I don't know what's going on inside that cage, but submitted four times in a row now. Really unfortunate because people were pretty high on him when he made his debut. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. won his fight. Mike Pyle and Alex Garcia. Did I tell you that this was a mismatch? Did I tell you that this is not a good fight for Mike Pyle? And he gets knocked out. A really bad knockout, too. Not like a TKO or he took a bad shot. I mean, out cold, fell like he was falling off a 10-story building, crashes his back of his head into the mat. Bad knockout. And it's got to be the... I mean, he can't keep fighting. And it's a horrible way for him to go out. I don't know who paired the two of them together. It doesn't make any sense to me because... That division is so deep. It's not like the two of them are like top 10, top 5 guys. They don't have a choice but to fight each other. There's plenty of people that Mike Pyle and Alex Garcia could have fought other than each other. And for whatever reason, they put the two of them together. And it was like basically guaranteed that it was going to be a death sentence for Mike Pyle. Just stylistically, physically, the whole thing. I mean, it was just... Mike Pyle is like... He's kind of lankier, probably even more so than he used to be. And he's a submission guy. He's a little bit calmer in the cage. Alex Garcia is one of those guys with a lot of muscle that's really explosive for the first round. But just the way that they're built, like it's not even a guy that Pyle could really submit. He's got the thick neck. He's got the broad shoulders. I mean, I don't know what anybody thought Mike Pyle was going to do to him. And then the knockout is there. It's not like Mike Pyle has his iron chin and he could be able to take... I mean, he's been knocked out before. So it was just a really bad matchup. I wasn't happy about that one at all. Because it was like something I knew 
how it was going to go, and I had to sit there and watch the poor guy get knocked out like that. It was really not that good. So I'm going to go to Hendrix and Magni. I thought Magni looked terrible. I didn't think he looked good at all. Hendrix looked like he was, especially after he got settled in, probably like in the second round or so, he realized, you know, he can hold Magni down and not get hurt. And that's what he did. He held Magni down, didn't get hurt. But they, the judges gave it to Magni instead of Hendrix. And a lot of people disagree with it. When I, I mean, my first reaction was I thought Hendrix was going to win because he was not just because he's on top. I mean, it doesn't automatically make you a winner, but I thought, I thought he won the fight. And now that puts him on a three-fight losing streak, which is terrible after not making weight, after having a horrible year, horrible run of fights. I don't know if he fights again, if he goes to 185. I don't know what he does, but that was unfortunate. And it wasn't even a good win for Magni. I like Magni and, you know bring up his win streaks and all that stuff all the time, but this was just not one of his his better fights at all. To Louis Smolka and Ray Borg, as I said, Borg uh, came in overweight, um, and a lot of people were betting on Borg, and I was kind of going with the underdog with Smolka. Um, I mean, I said, chances are when you lose, like you did in Portland, you usually end up losing again just because it's more a mental thing than anything else. But I was kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt, thinking that he was going to be able to pull it off. And unfortunately, he wasn't. Um, Ray Borg wins. He improves to 10-2. Smolka falls to 11-3. Smolka came out and said that, you know, he was sick and he, you know, had all these other things. But I don't know. I think, I think Smolka might be more comfortable at 135 but not that i think he's uncomfortable at 125 i mean i guess this particular weight cut was maybe a little bit harder on him than usual but he made the weight and borg didn't um and if he can make 125 i think there's no reason why he he shouldn't but yeah just a rough couple losses for him then we go to dong hyung kim and Tarek safadine Dong Hyun Kim, who's been out for 14 months. How come nobody wants to talk about that? Everybody wants to talk about Ronda Rousey being out to the day. 411 days. they got to count it out exactly. Dong Hyun Kim's been out 14 months. No one cares. No one says anything. No, They didn't even talk about it. Didn't even come up on the broadcast. He'd been out for over a year. But he's back. Fighting Tarek Safadine. Tough fight. Ultimately, I think uh, Dong Hyun Kim was just a little bit more wild, a little bit more aggressive in the fight, and he ends up getting a decision. He's on a three-fight win streak. And, you know, despite being out a year with a division where there's always a lot of, of movement, he's still one of these top five guys. I mean, tw- he's 22 and three now. He's been in there with Tyron Woodley. Uh and, and a bunch of other big names. I mean, this is, he, he's, I hope he fights again soon and keeps staying relevant because he's never really been out of the conversation. Yeah. Just, he's been out of the cage for 14 months. 
So then we go to TJ Dillashaw and John Lineker. A lot of people right before the fight started leaning towards Lineker, and I was on the fence because everyone seemed to be leaning that way, especially considering how Lineker was able to sort of deal with John Dodson. But at the same time, uh, I had seen TJ Dillashaw preparing for this fight and thought he looked remarkable. And he did in the fight. I mean, he just looked absolutely incredible. Uh, Just really fluid. Lineker looked tired. He was moving kind of slow, like he like I've seen Lineker come out and be aggressive and like walk people down. And this, he just it looked like he was almost like in sparring mode. Found out later he actually broke his jaw in the first round, which is insane. Good for TJ. Crazy that John Lineker was able to take that because he took a lot of punches in that fight. Who would have known he had a broken jaw? But Lineker gets the decision, and he looked. I mean, Dillashaw gets the decision, and he looked better than he's ever looked before. Like, by far, he looked he looked fantastic. So we go to the co-main event between Dominic Cruz and Cody Garbrandt. And this was just a, it was a really good fight. I thought it was a really good fight. I thought it was a little bit more competitive than, than some of the people's post-fight reactions to it. Um... But ultimately, what it came down to was in the third round, Cody Garbrandt dropped Dominic Cruz. Legitimately dropped him with a punch. Cruz recovered really quickly. There's two other knockdowns. I know one of them was just, it was one of those things where Dom was kind of like floating up in the air and got hit and he was off balance. It was not like, nothing like that first one that actually dropped him. And the second one was probably something in between. I think that one might have also been more of like a slip. But of course, everyone wants to say that he got dropped three times. He got dropped once for sure, maybe twice. The third one was kind of a slip. But uh, that was a huge round for Garbrandt. Arguably a 10-8 round, uh, just because that happened. Um, And then the fourth round... I think is when you could really see that Dom knew that he was probably behind and then and then they go into the fifth round. So I think the first, second, and fifth were competitive. You could have gone either way, I think, with who won them. I think obviously a lot of people are siding towards Cody winning those rounds. Um Cody definitely wins the third round, uh, 10-8. I think he won the fourth round pretty pretty solidly, too. But uh, So you could have said that that could have gone to a draw, but I think it, just, it wasn't going to happen. I think the rounds, even the ones that were close, there's too much of an argument to make for Cody. And then when something like a drop happens or a 10-8 round happens, it's like... It doesn't matter how many rounds there are. It tends to just always favor whoever was winning that. That. So some talking points in this one. One, I thought this was actually one of Cruz's better performances. People disagree because he lost and all this other stuff. But I actually thought he looked really good. 
He landed some hard punches on Cody, some that backed him up, especially in the second. Um, and Cody was able to take them. And he stood and traded with Cody. I mean, Dominic always moves and he gets out of the way, but Cody would punch Dominic in the face. Dominic would eat it and he would throw right back and they would get into these exchanges before, you know, Dominic would back out or, or Cody would back out or whatever. But I don't think Dominic got enough credit for that because he's never really done that, you know, in any of his recent fights. He, you know, he always picked apart from the outside, but he never really like stood in there and dug his feet in and, and threw at somebody. He did it with Cody Garbrandt of all people. That's crazy. Even after he had been dropped in the third round, he was still doing that in the fourth and fifth. Uh, Cody looked really good. Looked really comfortable out there. Way different than than the build-up for the fight. Build-up for the fight, he looked like he was all sorts of distracted. Uh, all sorts of crazy. And then in the cage, he looked better than he's probably ever looked. His previous fights, he walks people down and he punches them in the face. And this one employed a really smart tactic where he forced Dominic to come to him, which is not only good against Dominic, I think it favors the way that Cody fights more so than what he's done in the past, walking opponents down and knocking them out. I actually kind of liked him playing a little bit more of the counter-striker in this. I thought he just looked tighter. His technique was a little bit uh, better. thought it looked really good. I didn't understand the taunting in this fight. Like, It's one thing like if they were talking to each other. I, I wouldn't have been surprised by that, but he was doing like dance moves and stuff and it didn't it didn't fit like he didn't really he's never done that before it didn't do anything to the for the fight in the way that it does for like michael page uh or even anderson silva like it was i, I thought it was very strange and i didn't quite understand it people thought that that was messing with dominic i thought dominic was ignoring it and just punching him in the face uh I didn't I didn't think that that had any effect on him whatsoever. I think forcing Dominic to come to Cody definitely had an effect because that changes the way he fought, but then he adjusted and he walked over and like I said he dug his feet into the ground and threw punches. Uh he wasn't able to get any any takedowns unfortunately. Um not that there was any like super hard sprawls or anything from Cody, but they just they just weren't there. I wasn't able to get get the right distance because Cody was Cody was really good at managing the distance in this fight. Um, and so Cody gets the decision. Uh, Dominic's post fight um, speech at the press conference was probably the greatest thing I've seen in sports ever in terms of how an athlete handles a loss, how he handles the media afterwards, how eloquently he's able to speak about what had just happened and and analyze it in a great way i thought that was really good cody had pretty awesome moment in the cage as well um with the kid maddox uh that was just good joe rogan handled that super well all of that was good it was great 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 fight uh but a lot of the stuff coming from analysts and MMA personalities after the fight is just so silly. 
they're coming out and they're acting like it was a complete shutout from Cody Garbrandt. And it wasn't. Dominic was competitive the entire 25 minutes. They're coming out and saying that he out-Dominic Dominic. Nope. They didn't do the same thing at all whatsoever. They just want to use that phrase, out-Dominic Dominic. No. They, I mean, they said the same thing about Dillashaw. Not that he outdid it because he didn't win. But even they're not that comparable, but they're way more comparable than Cody and Dominic. I don't know where that phrase is coming from. They're saying that the taunting was messing with Dominic. No. They're saying that, oh, everyone expected Cody to be emotional, and he wasn't, but it was Dominic that was emotional. No. Just because everyone expected Cody to be emotional and Cody wasn't emotional doesn't then make Dominic emotional. Dominic wasn't emotional at all. That's crazy. Uh, what else did they say? Oh, they said, oh, oh, they tried to play the age card. Oh, Dominic's getting old. Not really. He had three years. I mean, he was injured, but that's three less years of battle that he didn't have to go through. He's fine. I thought, like I said, I think he was in incredible shape footwork everything looked better than it's ever been i mean there was no bit of rust or anything on him whatsoever and he was hitting harder than he even usually does he didn't break his hands he was good people are coming out oh we don't know maybe he was injured why would you think he was injured he never said anything about being injured in fact he said the complete opposite that he felt 100 percent healthy performed as if he was 100 percent healthy and people are just suspecting that he was injured. Why? Because he's because he was injured, what, a year ago? Two years ago? Three years ago? Like, you guys got to get over that. They were saying, well, he spends a lot of time behind the desk and he does the analyst thing, so, you know, maybe that's a problem. No. The, all anybody talks about is that he's in the gym all the time. And I, I don't know what people think. I mean, fighters don't sit in a gym from the moment they wake up to the moment that they go to bed at night. You go to the gym, you're there for maybe a couple hours out of your day, and that's it. You still have the whole rest of the day. There's no reason why he can't do other things. Other Fighters have other jobs all the time. His just so happens to be talking about the sport that he's in, which is awesome, and I just don't understand the stories that these people are trying to grab onto. They're not there. The story is that it was a really good fight. It was competitive. Dom looked really good. Cody looked amazing. And we have a new champion. That's the story. Just just go with that story. Uh, I like the idea of, of TJ getting the next shot at the title instead of the rematch. I think Dominic after three fights this year, could probably sit out, let the two of them fight, and then come back and fight the winner. Or even fight, you know, someone else, Dodson or or whoever, if need be. But I like that he doesn't have to go into an immediate rematch. And the truth is that he really, he really doesn't. I don't think it would even be beneficial for him to go into that fight again with Cody. And here's the real thing that people should be talking about. If you looking at Cody's past fights and stylistically all this other stuff, if they were to fight 10 times, 
you would have the result that you got, which is competitive, but Cody gets a decision. You might get the result that TJ got against Lineker, where Dominic just looks amazing, Garbrandt has a bad night, Dominic can get the takedowns and beats him the same way that Dillashaw beat Lineker. But as much as I like Dominic, just the way that Cody has fought everyone else, if you they were to fight 10 times, how many times does Dominic get knocked out? I, mean, I talked about it before. 25 minutes is a long time. Dominic could be winning 23 minutes into the fight, and the threat of Cody's knockout punch is always going to be there. And he got hit with it in this fight, and he didn't go down. Fight 10 times, and that might not be the case. So I'm kind of glad that they're not worrying about doing the rematch right now. Uh, I mean, I think this was, even in defeat, this is probably a good result for both guys. It showed a lot from Cody going 25 minutes, uh, winning for 25 minutes, being able to perform well for that long, and Dominic able to hang in there, come back from the punch and everything else. I mean, I think this was the best case scenario. And if you'd run that fight nine more times, none of those fights are going to look as good as this one did uh, for either guy. I mean, knockouts are always good, and if Dominic looked as good as TJ against Lineker, that's nice too, but I'm just saying. And Garbrandt's now, he's undefeated. That was They were also saying that, oh, this guy this guy's a star because he's, he's been in there with the big names. He hasn't been in there with the big names. He's been in there with Dominic Cruz. And his biggest fight before that, realistically, was against Thomas Almeida. And that was a good fight for him. He knocked him out in the first round. Mizugaki's not that big of a name. He's a name, but he's not that big of a name. And those are the only three guys. Everyone else before that, never even heard of. His biggest thing is defeating Dominic Cruz for the title and winning the way that he did is very impressive. Uh, and for what's next for Cody, I think TJ is there. It's an awesome story. It's a good fight. It's going to be tough to even predict what will happen in that fight. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I think Cody's a good, good champion to have. I like the idea of him maybe going to 145 and fighting someone, but I don't know who he would fight. You can't fight Connor. Connor's not going to 145. He's not going to fight Aldo because Aldo's leaving 145. But Garbrandt versus Holloway is a very attractive fight. Uh, Garbrandt against Edgar crazy fight that's an unbelievable fight and they can do that at 135 you can do that at 135 right away if Edgar wanted to I think Edgar might be fighting Holloway if Aldo isn't we'll talk about that later too he's crazy super fight nonsense driving everyone nuts uh, let's go to this main event We've got a whole lot to talk about with this one with the media, too. You guys, you guys are freaking crazy. You guys are freaking crazy. Nunez, Rousey. Rousey doesn't land a single thing. Nunez punches her up for 40 seconds. Referee steps in, stops the fight. Flawless victory for Nunez. 
flawless victories are very rare in the UFC, especially if it's not something like a crazy one-punch knockout. Those don't really count. But to have a fight that's actually competitive for, you know, a round and one guy just never gets hit at all, it's pretty awesome. Fantastic night for Nunez. Worst night ever for Rousey. But here's a couple of things. She didn't get knocked out cold. Trust me, I get it. She's out on her feet, still head trauma, all that stuff. But the referee saved her from being unconscious, asleep on the ground, you know, all that stuff. Glad we didn't have to see that happen. And even after the ref stopped it, she wasn't necessarily like wobbly, dizzy, falling on the floor. She just stood there in defeat. So, as far as health goes, I think we're good. Still, I understand she still got punched in the head a lot. Totally, you know, she wasn't all there during those punches and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, way better than getting knocked out cold, uh, getting punched after being knocked out cold, uh, as far as i know there's no broken nose there's no broken orbital bones like she's good it's good people forget that after the home fight her jaw was all messed up she couldn't even chew for like six months and people want to give her crap about not fighting for a year she couldn't train for six months and then she had to train for six months to come back and had to train for six months to come back, not only because it was such a bad loss, but because she wasn't able to train for the six months before that. But people have to write these crazy stories. They got to sensationalize the fact that a fighter took a year off as if it doesn't happen all the time. Tim Kennedy was out for two years. Charles Rosa, not even injured, nothing, hasn't fought in over a year. He's a featherweight. Uh, just, it's total insanity. When she weighed in, this was the, just the most silliest thing. I'm watching Ariel Harani, uh, Helwani's stream from MMA Fighting. So he's the guy on the mic. And I can't watch his show anymore ever since the whole Helwani gate. And then he cried. And then I just, I got over his show. And I should have been watching somebody else's because Helwani's stream was just agonizing needed to listen to it on mute, but Ronda Rousey is the first person to weigh in. Like, 9 a.m. on the dot, she's ready to go, which is something I guess you could talk about. Weighs in exactly 135, looks fantastic, doesn't look drained, looked better than she's ever looked before. Mike Dolce deserves, like, all the praise in the world for what he does with fighters. It's just he, he hasn't missed yet, and I'm sure if he ever does... He'll get a ton of hate and people forget the hundreds of weigh-ins he's done with people before that were all perfect. But weigh-ins, the weigh-ins in the morning, they're not a thing. Fighter comes out from curtain, steps on the scale, they weigh in, they go back behind the curtain. The only people that are really there are media. And so... They have to report on the weigh-ins. That's why they're there, and they'll take pictures. And, okay, sometimes fighters flex and whatever. Has Ronda Rousey ever flexed after a weigh-in? No. 
She goes over there, she does her pose with her hands behind her back, and then she puts her clothes back on, and she usually does a face-off, because she's never done these 9 a.m. weigh-ins where there is no crowd, there is no face-off. So, what does she do? She shows up at 9 a.m., she weighs in 135 pounds, and she walks off the stage, and the first thing Ariel Hawani says is, Ronda Rousey storms off the stage. She didn't storm off the stage, she walked 10 feet to the left. But that's a story that they have to sell. Whoa, why is she so angry? What's going on? What's her mental state like? Blah, 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 blah. Even the suicide comment she made about after the Holly Holm fight, not a good thing to say. But it's how people talk sometimes. But everybody went nuts with that one. They had this whole thing about she was in hiding. She wasn't hiding. After she lost her Holly Holm, yeah, she had the, you know, the hoodie over her head. She went, disappeared to Texas for a little bit. Her jaw was messed up, face was bruised, and she had just lost a fight. Devastating. First loss. Most famous person at the time to lose a fight like that. And you have a bunch of people that don't even follow the sport, but just follow the celebrity of Ronda Rousey wanting to talk to her, of course she's going to go into hiding. But after that, like, what do you think she's been doing for a year? Like, she hasn't been hiding. She's not part of a big camp, so it's not like she's training with other fighters, but she she never has. It's not that big of a deal. But, uh, yeah, so this is a horrible way for her to come back. Um... I think it's more proof that they really should have done something to promote Amanda Nunez. She is the champion. I mean, I understood Dana White came out and said that he could have spent $100,000 promoting Amanda Nunez and it wouldn't have added anything, you know, it people still wouldn't have bought in, but now that they know now they will because they know who she is because she she just finished off Ron, Ronda Rousey. I don't think so. I think I think Holm, Holm got all of that when she did it, and I don't think a Nunez will. Because I think the people that didn't care about who Ronda Rousey was fighting and just wanted to see her fight don't really care about who she lost to other than they just care about the story that she lost. Um, so now it's, oh, should she ever fight again? Will she ever fight again? Etc. The problem with this being a champion for as long as she was and dominant as she was, there was no doubt that she was going to come back to a title shot. People saying that she shouldn't, I think, were crazy. There was no doubt that she was going to do a, she was she was going to do a rematch with Holly Holm, but Holly Holm lost twice, so she was going to come back and fight for the title. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing crazy about that. People get all offended buy it for no reason and then the simple fact is that she gets paid she had a guarantee of three million dollars if you're guaranteed three million dollars you're not fighting ashley evan smith you're not fighting on fight pass you're not fighting on fs1 you're not main eventing a fox card you're main eventing a pay-per-view for a world title that's that's why you're getting paid three million dollars so people try to say that she she should have taken a, a smaller fight. She couldn't have taken a smaller fight. There's no reason for her to take a smaller fight. And you get a whole bunch of extra money if you are in the big fight anyway. So why? And if you have the option of doing that, why wouldn't you?
if it was an option. It really wasn't for her. Uh, but then, so, does she fight again? Does she need to fight again? Financially, no. If you don't need to fight for money, like, I don't know why somebody would really want to train and and fight in a sport when when you don't have to anymore, especially one that you can get as damaged as you can. But there's legacy, there's pride, there's just the overall competitiveness. I mean, who wants to go out on those two losses? Is is it a risk that you might go out on three losses that are that bad? I guess so. But uh, I can't imagine that she would really want to walk away still and really walk away still considering just this ridiculous amount of like hate and like disgrace towards her by the media and celebrities and everything else i mean if it wasn't for her amanda nunez would be in invicta you'd be in bellator no one would care who she is none of the 135ers would be in the UFC. They're there because of her. So I get that they're all in the same division and they're competitive and they have feelings and but at the end of the day, like the reason why any of them are there, part of this 4 billion dollar company, part of this mega sport getting paid what they get paid in the UFC instead of getting paid what they would get paid in Invicta is well, I mean, I guess that's still technically the same company now, but like it's because of her can you imagine if uriah faber the guy who's responsible for bringing the lightweights over lost and then was disgraced and hated and vilified the way ronda rousey is that's insane and not just by fans and and media but by other fighters i mean the other fighters the other women in that division should really be banding together against a lot of that hate because it's it's really uncalled for uh and it's just i think it's crazy so i'd like to see her fight again i'd like to see her uh, maybe fight pennington or someone around there i think pena is fairly similar to amanda nunez on the feet just not just doesn't hit as hard uh, I think if Ronda Rousey was to ever fight Cyborg, which is never going to happen now, uh, I think it would have been the same result, if not worse, than what Amanda Nunez did. Amanda Nunez versus Cyborg would be a great fight, but it would have to happen at 145, and Cyborg may not ever fight again because of her suspension. Amanda Nunez versus Holly Holm is a spectacular fight. I think people are almost hoping they pull Jermaine Durandamy from that fight and they do home versus Nunez instead I don't know about that without Cyborg it almost makes the idea of 145 women's division kind of seem pointless not that Holly Holm should be getting a title shot after two losses Kat Zingano has a win over Amanda Nunez and Zingano's on a two-fight losing streak uh Misha Tate was super Amanda Nunez, and then she switched right before the fight because Ronda Rousey looked good, she looked focused, everything was awesome, and then ultimately Nunez won. That was the other thing everyone forgot about. The lead-up to the fight, everyone going crazy over the media blackout. 
they're all crazy. They're all like, oh, she's so mad. She doesn't want to talk to anyone. She's so angry. And they're falling for what they see on camera. Meanwhile, the UFC puts out UFC Embedded, which is like one of the best things ever. I wish it was on television, online each day leading up to the fight during fight week. And not that Ronda Rousey's featured in it a whole lot, but when she is, she's smiling, laughing, super relaxed. But everyone's like, oh, she's so angry. She's not talking to anyone. Blah, 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 blah. Like, it's just so far from the truth. They're all falling for their own their own media stories that they just write amongst themselves. And the, the like I said, the hate and the, I mean, it took like one second for there to be memes of just the worst kind about Ronda Rousey. And it's like, it's like the fans are offended by Rousey going crazy on Holly Holm, which was unwarranted. Also wasn't that big of a deal at the weigh-ins before the Holly Holm fight. And then they go, they're like offended as if it was them who tried to shake her hand. And then Ronda Rousey said no, when Ronda Rousey denied Misha Tate's handshake. But I get it, sportsmanship, you're supposed to shake someone's hand, but the whole reason why she didn't shake Misha Tate's hand was because Misha Tate got a little bit personal in the trash talk. And they have this crazy history, and they coached six weeks against one another on The Ultimate Fighter, and they hated each other. And it was like, like, you can't be surprised that she didn't shake Misha Tate's hand, and you can't be offended as if she didn't shake your hand. That's so silly. And then the fight... Like, two fights before that, what'd she do? She fought Kat Zingano, finishes her in 15 seconds, and she's on the mat hugging Zingano, gives her a kiss on the cheek, tells her that she probably should just get a rematch because it wasn't competitive. She's smiling. She even calls out Betch Kohea nicely and just says, oh, she's undefeated and she wants to fight me, so let's do it. Like... Nothing angry. That fight obviously got personal. And I think that was when you started to see her become the quote-unquote villain. Which is not who she is. She's just playing the role. It was because Betch got super personal. She knocks Betch out. Knocking Betch Kohea out makes Ronda Rousey's boxing coach seem legit. And then... Ill-prepared against Holly Holm, ill-prepared against Amanda Nunez. Her coach is the worst. Ruined Travis Brown's career. I don't think Travis Brown comes back from that. I mean, he's he's still going to fight, but I, I'm pretty sure he's going to lose a lot. And if, I'm, if Ronda Rousey doesn't get rid of him and change things up, she's going to lose too. I mean, I, that's like one of the biggest things for me is that I feel like maybe being out for a year and training for the last six months was ended up being a waste because she stayed with this guy who doesn't know how to, to properly prepare someone for a fighter that can fight at range with kicks, takedowns, all that stuff. Could he help her against somebody who wants to box? Probably, I guess, a little bit. It's not like he's ever produced anyone credible other than other than work with somebody who's already established like Ronda Rousey or Travis Brown, who hasn't even won a fight since he's been with them, unless you count that Mitrione fiasco. But he's just not, you know, she could have taken 
that six months to a year and worked shooting single legs and double legs, throwing kicks. If you know how to throw a kick, you can defend kicks. You get you have a different range when you're in the cage because you're you're just aware of those things. If you can shoot for a double leg, you don't have to finish it. Shoot for the double leg. You're in super close. Just come up. Now you're in the clinch and you can work. You can actually work your, you know, your judo and your Greco-Roman stuff. Just because you practice and learn entries of freestyle wrestling doesn't mean you have to do them. You do them so it can get you where you want to go, which is the Greco-Roman and judo. She needs to learn those things. She needs to be probably in her bigger camp, as John Jones has had uh, recommended. And the big thing is everyone seems to agree that she needs a legit head coach, not a boxing coach and then a wrestling coach and all these different people. She needs those people. And then she needs a Faraz Sahabi, a Greg Jackson, somebody that is just a coach that coaches everyone else, that coaches the whole thing. Uh, and that's super important in the sport, especially going into 2017. Like that's that's what every fighter needs. You can't have three people and and they don't know who's doing what with 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 you. You need someone that oversees everything. And Ronda Rousey is too big of a name and too good to be doing that. And I'm sure, even with the money that she's making, that someone is taking way bigger of a cut than they should. And that was the other thing the media was going crazy about. They were talking about her doing movies and all this other stuff. She hasn't done any movies. She did like 30 seconds in Fast and Furious and Expendables. She did a commercial for Motorola because it's in her contract. And I think she did something else that had something to do with hair. And they're commercials. They take like, it's like half a day, maybe one day of like filming something. It's nothing. And for some reason, they're like, oh, she's getting too Hollywood now. She's doing this. She's too distracted. It's like, uh, you can't point to anything that she's done to justify saying that she's been distracted. What'd she do? Did a, a Bud Light commercial for the Super Bowl like a year ago? Come on. Like, you guys are just criticizing nothing. So, let's figure out what's next for people. For Amanda Nunez, Pena and Shevchenko are fighting each other. Shevchenko's already fought Nunez. I thought Shevchenko won. Judges said Nunez won. So there could be a story there. Pena wins. I think that's an excellent fight. Sarah McMahon's there, but Sarah McMahon's already lost to Amanda Nunez. Raquel Pennington's there, but I'm pretty sure Pennington is going to fight McMahon. Uh, Zingano and Betch Cohea probably should fight one another. Holly Holm and Jermaine Durandamay are going up to 145. Alexis Davis had just lost her fight against McMahon. So, I mean, that's, that's your, that's your top 10. So I think Ronda could, could very much, very well, she could fight Zingano. They're both on two fight losing streaks. That's a high stakes, high stakes fight. I think her against Pennington would make the most sense. Or she rematches McMahon. But uh, we'll see about that. I mean, that would be, ooh, those would be some high pressure fights. That's for sure. 
if Ronda Rousey was to stick around. Uh, Bantamweight. Dominic Cruz and Cody Garbrandt. Well, I think TJ Dillashaw is pretty much a lock for Garbrandt. They could do the rematch, but I don't think they need to. Lineker could be fighting Jimmy Rivera, although Rivera's on a win streak. I don't think he's going to be doing that off a loss. Plus, he's out a long time with the jaw. We could see him and Thomas Almeida would be an excellent fight, but again, anyone that he could get matched up with is going to be fighting someone else first anyway, so we can't really talk about Lineker. But for Cruz, if Cruz isn't fighting Garbrandt in a rematch, and I don't think he is, I think Cruz versus Caraway is a great fight. Cruz versus Dodson's a great fight. Cruz versus Rivera is a great fight. And here's the thing, okay? Garbrandt's a champion, and that's great. But if you've been in this division as long as Caraway and Rivera and Asuncao... And even Michael McDonald, Sterling, even John Dodson. The fight you're looking for is against Cruz. Cruz might not be the champion anymore, but that's the guy that you've been aiming for this entire journey. Who cares if he has the belt? Like, that's the guy you want to fight. I mean, like, you'd want to fight him more than Cody. Because it's if you beat Dominic, it's a bigger deal. Even though he's not the champion. It's a bigger deal if you're a 135-pound fighter and you defeat Dominic Cruz. It just is. It's a fact. Welterweight, there's like no movement there because Dong Hyun Kim and Safadin, to me, they're so far apart in the rankings, it doesn't matter that Dong Hyun Kim beat them. It's irrelevant. Same thing with Magni and Hendricks, especially considering how close the fight was and arguable who won, who lost. It, nothing happened there, and then in Tim Means' fight, it was a no contest, so nothing happened at welterweight as far as movement goes. But hopefully Nick Diaz will be back soon. Turn down the Robbie Lawler fight for some reason. I still think that that fight's going to happen. I'm just not sure what the the hiccup was. And they got to book Woodley and Thompson too. They've got to do it. It's... Everybody wants these crazy super fights. The crazy super fights don't matter. They don't matter. If you do the fights that you're supposed to do based on the sport and based on the rankings, you're going to have... That's how you create the stars and the entertainment. If you just go for the crazy sideshow fights, it's entertaining for like a night. And then it's a mess afterwards. And I think Conor McGregor has proved that. By destroying two divisions, basically. Log jamming two of them, even three of them, uh, in a way that's not actually good for the sport. It's good for him. And he remember, he lost the first one, so it was good for Nate. But Nate hasn't fought yet, and I don't, think, I don't know that he's going to fight again. And it screwed a lot of things up. And you got Woodley saying he wants to fight Bisbing, which is actually a fight I want to see. Not until after Romero and Woodley, or after Romero and Thompson get their fight. I definitely don't want to see that before Damian Maya uh, gets his title shot. So I don't know when or how or if that'll ever happen. Maybe if they both lose, they can do that fight and it would be great. Uh, Cody Garbrandt, like I said, he's calling out McGregor and Aldo, 
two guys that aren't even at 145 anymore. I mean, I know Aldo's a champion there, and he should fight Holloway before leaving. But uh, that's a, that's just that's so silly to do because of course he's gonna fight Dillashaw. I don't even know why he's even pretending to call out these other names. Jose Aldo wants to go to 155. Khabib is dying to fight Tony Ferguson. If he can't fight Conor McGregor, he's dying to fight Tony Ferguson. And now Tony Ferguson's saying he doesn't get paid enough money. Well, that's the contract. He wants the money, and then they take the fight away, and now he makes no money. It's so stupid. Jessica Andrash. How many times do I have to praise Jessica Andrash on this podcast about how I think she would steamroll right through Yoani on Jacek, and then nobody else in the division would be able to beat her? said it countless times on this podcast already. They offered her the title shot. said, hey, you can get a title shot against Yoani and Jacek in, uh, I think it was March. Or April. I think it was March. And she said, no, it's, it, that's too far away. I need a fight. I need a fight before then. So she was supposed to fight on this 207 card. Opponent dropped out. Couldn't find a replacement. She didn't fight. So she didn't get paid. She wouldn't have gotten paid anyway because she would have been on the shelf until March. But the point is, they're giving you a title shot. Which gives you... Which, which means you're... You're going to get paid more for that fight than you would if you fought someone else because it's going to be a main event. It's going to be for it's going to be for the championship. If you win, now you're the champion. You get a brand new contract. You get paid a lot more money. You're going to do a rematch. That's also going to be a main event. All of that plus you get way more media opportunities because they have to promote the fight. You get paid for the media. Like, come on, why wouldn't you do that? And she was saying, oh, she needs the money now. Like, that's not true. Oh, fight camps are expensive, and they're not that expensive unless you're paying people way too much money. There's no way that you, you when you're 3-0 and or whatever in your career that you're paying what you're paying now for a fight camp. So you got to get rid of these people that are leeching off of you. Like, it's insanity. And, it, and if it's not about being a champion... And it's only about making money. Then what's the point of being in the UFC? You can make more money in Bellator, right? So it's just it, I don't understand how somebody passes that up. I've never I've I put it I said it on Twitter. I don't know I don't know if I've ever heard of a fighter saying that they couldn't take a fight on long notice. That's crazy to me. It seems like something a fighter would absolutely want, other than Donald Cerrone. But for a title shot, come on. It's not about carrying a belt. It's the money and everything that comes with it. The money and opportunities that come with being a champion. That's your that's your pay raise. Like they're essentially saying, hey, we can give you a raise, but it's gonna take like five months. And you're saying, no. I'll I'll take the pay that I have now. Just give me another job now. Like that's, it's silly and it's risky because if she takes another fight and she was to lose, it's nuts. Anyway, we're coming back. The next card, I don't even remember what it is. We're coming back like in a week or so. I'll talk to you guys then. Stay awesome.